Well, my name's Brian. I'm one of the pastors here at River City. Uh, welcome to River City. If you're new, especially welcome to you. Um, looking forward to opening God's Word with you guys together this morning. Uh, we're actually uh, beginning a brand new series that we'll be in all summer. Our series is called uh, Jesus on Every Page, the Gospel in the Old Testament. At River City, we believe that the whole Bible is all about Jesus. We believe the Old Testament, it foreshadows him and it points to him. We believe the gospel are, are the record of his very words. And we believe that the New Testament is written in light of him and ultimately looking forward to his return. And so throughout our series this summer, we're going to be uh, taking a look at uh, a bunch of uh, specifically passages that are in the Old Testament. Uh, stories that point to Jesus and the gospel. Uh, some stories maybe you heard growing up. Some stories that will be really familiar. Some stories you probably haven't heard of too often. But all of them are really ultimately about Jesus. And they're ultimately about pointing us to the gospel. And uh, I'll be honest, I can't tell you how excited I am to go through the series this summer. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this pattern, but... Um, uh, near the end of a sermon series, I usually take a few weeks off of preaching. Uh, that's why, like, Andy and Aaron were preaching just a few weeks ago. And uh, I try to take a few weeks off right before the end of every new series to get ready for the new one, right? And so um, I've spent those past couple of weeks just studying and preparing and getting ready for our series coming up this summer. Man, it's been so good. Uh, I've just, like, really been enjoying my studies and learning a lot. And, um, and my heart is just so full. And so I'm excited to share those things with you guys as we uh, look back at some of those things. And um, I don't know about you, but uh, growing up, I I think I went through a couple of phases um, in thinking about how I understood the Bible and how I really thought about, I think especially the Old Testament. And uh, so when I was a kid, I think like everybody else who grows up going to church, you hear all the stories, right? There's Noah's Ark, and there's Joseph and the many-colored dream coat, right? There's the parting of the Red Sea. There's all these great stories that you, that you hear growing up on the flannel graph, right? Or, or uh, probably now the video something or other, right? And what I remember basically about all of those stories is that they were all kind of teaching a lesson. And it, it was like, Adam and Eve, they, they disobeyed God. And so the, the lesson is don't disobey God, right? Otherwise, it's, it's going to go really badly for you. Remember, Joseph, the story of Joseph, right at the very end of the story of Joseph, he forgives his family who, like, killed him and left him for dead and sold him into slavery. And so it's, man, despite anything, if we just trust God, then we're able to forgive people no matter what happens. Or the uh, story of Jonah, right? We're supposed to love, Jonah was supposed to love the Ninevites, even though they were his enemies. And, man, if I just loved God enough, I would really love people that were hard to love. Or the story of Esther, right, who was brave and brave for God, and, and so I should be brave and I should take risks for God. Or the story of Noah, who trusted God, and so I should trust God uh, no matter what other people think. And I think it seemed like the point of all of the stories was just to kind of teach a lesson about the way I was supposed to live, or the kind of person I was supposed to be. And as a teenager, who, like every other teenager in the universe, thinks they knows a whole lot more than they actually do, I was kind of like, do we even need this Old Testament thing anymore? Like, don't we have the new one? New is better, right? Like, what's the point of the old one? Eh, I think we can kind of chuck that one, right? Let's just focus on the new one. New is better, right? And it wasn't until I got to college 
uh, that God really began, I think, just really graciously opening my heart and my eyes to see uh, the, the purpose of the Old Testament and, and what the point of all the stories were and the point of all that was there. And I remember uh, one summer uh, after my junior year of college, uh, sitting at a desk job that I hated, making uh, changes to CAD drawings for 40 hours a week, and uh, binging uh, sermons from a, a new preacher that uh, a buddy of mine had recommended to me in college. And uh, so I'm sitting there for like 40 hours a week just listening to sermon, like just podcasting was new. I hate this job I'm doing. So I'm just like trying to like think about anything that's valuable, right? And, um, and uh, so this guy, he started preaching through the book of Nehemiah, which is an Old Testament book about this guy who rebuilds the walls of Jerusalem. And, and I remember for the first time, uh, looking at a story in the Old Testament and thinking, man, this is, this is really about Jesus, isn't it? The whole point of the story isn't about the wall. It's not about this guy. This, this is, this is something about something much bigger than this. It's about Jesus and all that he was doing in, in rebuilding a people and a city. And I just remember thinking like, man, it's all about him, isn't it? You see, growing up, I wouldn't have understood this or been able to tell you this or even had the framework to understand this. But I think ultimately, growing up, I saw that the Bible was ultimately about me. It was about how I should live, about who I should be, and about what I needed to do. And yeah, I was saved by Jesus. It was about his grace and not about what I did. It wasn't like a works thing. But ultimately, I saw that the point of the Bible was ultimately to teach me about who I was supposed to be, how I was supposed to live, what I was supposed to do. See, the, the problem is, when the Bible is ultimately a guide for how we're supposed to live or an example, it just becomes a list of examples that we're never going to measure up to. Forgive like Joseph, whose family literally left him for dead and then sold him into slavery in another country, their own brother. I have enough trouble forgiving people who cut me off in traffic, right? Like I'm not, I'm not matching up with Joseph. Have faith like Abraham, who is willing to sacrifice his only son. Man, I have trouble when my kids are coughing at night, right? Like, God help them, right? Love your enemies like Jonah, who was, who was the example of everything not to do. Man, I'm, I'm a whole lot more like Jonah than I am different than him. See, if the examples are all just, the stories are all just examples for how I should live, man, they're just crushing examples. That's not their purpose, though. They're not the end in and of themselves. As one pastor writes, the Old Testament points to our need for Christ by repeatedly leading us to dead ends. See, the stories aren't meant to end at Joseph's forgiveness. They're not meant to end with Abraham's trust. They're not meant to end with Jonah's disobedience. They're meant to point us to something better. And all of them, they're all pointing to something better. See, the point of the stories is not simply to set an example for who God wants us to be and how God wants us to live. Instead, they are foreshadowing. They're an incomplete picture. They're the preview to the movie all of which are designed to point us towards one thing. Designed to point us towards Jesus and his gospel. 
You see, when all of the stories aren't about us, but they're rather about Jesus, then what they do is they create in us a longing for him. He was the one who was perfect, the perfect version of all of those examples. And it's through faith in him that we gain his status and his standing. And it's through faith in him that we actually are filled with the power that we need to actually live those examples anyways. You see, what happens if they're about him and not about us is that what they produce, they produce in us a love for Jesus. And they produce in us a gratitude for him and a longing for him, the one who was perfect on our behalf. And now all those stories that you heard growing up, all those pictures that you saw, they have a radically different purpose and a radically different meaning. Sally Lloyd-Jones, I think, sums it up best. Uh, in her introduction to the Jesus Storybook Bible, which is a must-read for anyone roughly under 100 or so. So that'd be, that'd be everyone, right? She says it this way. I just think this is really helpful. Now, some people think the Bible is a book of rules telling us what we should and shouldn't do. And the Bible certainly does have some rules in it. And they show us how life works best. But the Bible isn't mainly about you and what you should be doing. It's about God and what he has done. Other people think that the Bible is a book about heroes showing people that we should copy. And the Bible does have some heroes in it, but most of the people in the Bible aren't heroes at all. In fact, they make some pretty huge mistakes, sometimes on purpose. They get afraid, they run. And at times they're downright mean or evil. No, the Bible isn't a book of rules. It's not a book about heroes. The Bible is a story. It's an adventure story, she says, about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, and everything to rescue the ones that he loves. It's the most wonderful of stories that has actually come true in real life. It takes the whole Bible to tell the story, and at the center of the story, there's a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He's like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other ones fit together. And suddenly there is a beautiful picture. You see this morning and throughout our entire series this summer, we're going to see that the whole Bible is really about Jesus. All of it, every page whispers his name. And it's only when we see him in all of Scripture that we see the beautiful picture that it was intended to be. And we begin our series in Luke 24, which I recognize is the New Testament and not the Old. Bear with me. We'll get there, I promise you, right? But here in uh, Luke's account of Jesus' interaction with a few disciples on the road to Emmaus, this happens on the day of his resurrection. I want us to see that this idea that the whole Bible is about Jesus isn't something that like I came up with or some like brilliant theologian came up with. And it's something that Jesus said himself was the case. In fact, according to Jesus, seeing him as the thing to which all of the Old Testament is pointing is the thing that matters the absolute most. It's the thing that makes everything else make sense. So let's read our passage this morning and we'll pray and dive in, okay? We're in Luke 24. I kind of got a long one this morning. Bear with me. It's a story, right? So now, the same day, two of the men uh, came to a village called Emmaus, and about seven miles from Jerusalem, and they were talking with each other about everything that, that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. 
But they were kept from recognizing him. And he asked them, what are you guys discussing together as you walk along? And they stood there still with their faces downcast. And one of them called Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? You gotta, you gotta love Jesus, right? What things? Tell me, right? He asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. And the chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And he said to them, how foolish you are, how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all of the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it's nearly evening and the day is almost over. And so he went in to stay with them. And when they were at the table with them... (coughs) Okay. He took bread. (laughs) He gave thanks and he broke it and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and they disappeared from their sight. And they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while we talked, while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? And they got up and they returned at once to Jerusalem. And there they found 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. The Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when they broke bread. And while they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and he said to them, peace be with you. And they, they were startled and frightened thinking that they had seen a ghost. And he said to them, why are you troubled? Why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands. It is I myself. Touch me. See me. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. And he said to them, This is what I told you while I was with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures, and he told them, This is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and arise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses to these things. And I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And when he had led them out of the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. And while he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. And when they worshiped, and then they worshiped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed there continually at the temple, praising God. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for your word. We are so grateful to get to study it this morning. God, thanks that it's all about you and that it's not about us. God, I pray that you would uh, just graciously give us eyes to see uh, the truth of your word, that we might uh, understand it and enjoy it and treasure it. And so in doing so, we might see you. So we love you, God. Thanks for loving us. Help us uh, sit under your word. God, fill me with your spirit so uh, that our time together would be fruitful for you and for us. Amen. Amen. So Jesus really taught that the Old Testament was 
all about him. Verse 25, he says to these guys on the road to Emmaus, How foolish you are! How slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken! Did that Messiah have to come to uh, suffer these things and then enter into his glory? Verse 27, And then he began with Moses and all the prophets, and he explained to them what was said about him concerning, and said about him in concerning the scriptures. In verse 44, again with all the disciples, he says to them, This is what I told you when I was with you. Everything that was spoken about me needed to be fulfilled. Man, that would have been like the best Bible study ever. You could be there like, I can imagine just the guy's like, man, I always thought it was really about this. And just being like, no, 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 no. Let me just show you what's really going on, right? The light bulbs would have been incredible, right? But Jesus' name is obviously not on every page of the Bible, right? Unless you have a, like, that's the title of yours or something, right? Don't get me wrong, right? Every verse does not have some hidden or secret connection. There isn't a coded message, right? There isn't, like, some deep, like, secret cult that's, like, trying to find the amount of letters it is between each thing that spells Jesus or something like that. That's not what we're talking about. And so I wanted to show you uh, this morning as we, as we talk about this, I wanted to show you six ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. And then we'll get back to our passage here. Um, and there's, this is not my own content. I can read, so don't think I'm like some brilliant person, right? Um, and there is some overlap in these, but I think this is really helpful, right? So six ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. One is Christophanies, right? So Christophanies are their appearances of Jesus in the Old Testament before he was born of, the, of Mary, right? Jesus did not begin his existence with life on earth. He existed eternally as God before that, before he entered into human history. And in the Old Testament, Jesus makes some cameo appearances. Let me give you some examples. Uh, he walks with Abraham in Genesis chapter 18. He wrestles with Jacob in Genesis 32. He appears to Moses in the burning bush in Exodus chapter 3. In John chapter 8, Jesus says, you remember Moses? Remember that bush? That was me. I am. I was the one that was there. He joined Rakshak and Benny in the fiery furnace in Daniel chapter 3. In Isaiah Chapter 6, he's the one who Isaiah sees and is called into ministry by. In John chapter 12, Jesus says, Isaiah, he saw me and he spoke of my glory. You might be thinking, I remember some of those stories, but I don't remember Jesus' name being in those stories. And that would be a good memory. That is true, right? A lot of times in the Old Testament, um, it's really important to see that there's a difference between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. And oftentimes in these appearances, it's referred to, and the angel of the Lord came, right? There's a big difference between an angel of the Lord and the angel of the Lord. And when you see the angel of the Lord, that's, that's like 99% of the time, that's Jesus, so there's Christophanies, right? Number two, there are types. Types are Old Testament uh, representative figures or institutions or events that foreshadow Jesus. Let me give you some examples. Um, Adam is listed in Romans chapter 8 and a number of places as uh, the first type. Adam foreshadows Jesus as the second Adam. And, and Jesus actually passes the test in the garden and in so doing gives us his righteousness. 
The priesthood, which is this, the order of priests that throughout the Old Testament, it prefigures Jesus as our high priest. Much of the book of Hebrews is about the priesthood and how all of it is foreshadowing Jesus. David and other kings prefigure Jesus as the true king of kings. And so Jesus is the king of kings and he's the Lord of lords. And so when you see king mentioned, you're always meant to remember, oh yeah, Jesus. He's the king of all the kings. Moses and the prophets, they, figure, they prefigure Jesus as the ultimate prophet, the one who calls us to repentance and invites us to return to God by grace. There are animal sacrifices which prefigure Jesus as the sinless lamb of God that was slain for our sins. John the Baptist, right? When he calls out, he says, there is the one, the, the lamb of God. He was referring to this sacrificial system where animals laid down their lives and blood was shed for sinners. It's all foreshadowing, pointing towards Jesus. Number three, there's something called analogous service or like service. There are people who do things that ultimately Jesus does completely or better or fully. And they're, a for, again, a foreshadowing or an anticipating. They're, a, they're one of those dead ends that makes you wanting for something more. Let me give you some examples. This is most famously uh, Pastor Tim Keller. Um, you may have heard some of these before. He writes this, just really helpful. He says, this, Jesus is the true and better Abraham who answered the call of God to leave all of the comfortable and familiar things and to go out into the world not knowing where he went to create a brand new people who would be God's. Jesus is the true and better Isaac, who was not just offered up by his father on the mount, but was truly sacrificed for all of us. And when God said to Abraham, now I know that you love me because you didn't withhold your son. God says in Jesus, now I know you love me. We say back to God, now we know that you love us because you didn't withhold your only son from us. Jesus is the true and better Jacob who wrestled with God and took the blow of justice that we deserve. So we, like Jacob, only receive the wounds of grace that wake us up and discipline us and sanctify us. Jesus is the true and better Joseph who at the right hand of the king forgives those who betrayed and sold him and uses his new power not to condemn them but to save them. And Jesus is the true and better Moses who stands in the gap between the people and the Lord who mediates a new covenant. Jesus is the true and better Job, the one who is a truly innocent sufferer, the one who then intercedes for and saves his idiot friends. Jesus is the true and better King David whose victory comes, um, becomes his people's victory, though they never lifted a stone to accomplish it. Jesus is the true and better Esther, who didn't just risk leaving an earthly palace, but lost his ultimate heavenly one, who didn't just say, if I perish, I perish, but who said, when I perish, I perish for them. When Boaz redeemed Ruth and brought her and her despised people into God's community, he was showing us what Jesus would do when he was redeemed his bride, the church from all the nations of the world. When Nehemiah rebuilt Jerusalem, he was showing us Jesus' heart about his rebuilding of a new Jerusalem and an eternal home for God's people. When Hosea, the prophet, married an unfaithful wife that he continued to love and to pursue, he was showing us the heart of Jesus who does the same thing for us, his unfaithful bride, the church. You see, it's all about Jesus. It's Jesus on every page. It's not just types or analogous service or people. There are events that prophesy the coming of Jesus. There are events in the Old Testament that prefigure and prophesy the coming of Jesus. In our passage in Luke 24, who he says he fulfills and he completes. 
One of the best examples is the story of the Exodus, right? There's a people of God who are in slavery to this horrible, cruel tyrant king. And he ruled over them as a false god. And their lives were marked by suffering and poverty and injustice and sorrow. And there was no way that they could liberate themselves or redeem themselves. And the story is that God's people have no ability to redeem, to liberate, or to free themselves from captivity or slavery. But God makes a way. And God comes and he invites those who were his enemies to repent and to turn from their wicked ways, to trust in him, to be generous and to return to him. See, the Exodus is an event as an event was foreshadowing the coming of Jesus who once and for all would actually deliver his people. The Exodus story is, it's pointing us towards Jesus. It's pointing us towards the gospel. You see, no sooner has the Israelites gotten out of slavery in Egypt that they just went back to slavery to other gods. It's a dead end. It's not the end of the story. It's just another one of the many dead ends that's meant to leave us longing for the one who would really be the true and better one. Another way we see Jesus, number five, where we see titles of him. In Isaiah chapter 40 through, 40, uh, 40 through 66, we see him referred to as the suffering servant. Uh, he's also known as the first and the last in the, in the revelations, which are names that are given to God in the Old Testament. We see him called the light, the rock, the husband, the bridegroom, the shepherd, the redeemer, the savior, the Lord of glory. All those are Old Testament names for Jesus that we see ascribed to him in the New Testament. We see him most often as he refers to himself as the son of man. He t- this is his favorite way of referring to himself, and he takes it from Daniel chapter 7, which is this prophecy where God is, uh, is, where Daniel sees God ruling over eternity past and over glory as one with, and there's one with him called like the Son of Man. And lastly, and most obviously, we see Jesus prophesied in the Old Testament. The most common category of finding Jesus in the Old Testament is prophecy. At the, same t- at the time of the Bible's writing, more than a quarter of Scripture was prophetic in nature, promising future events. No other world religion or cult can present any sp- specific prophecies concerning the coming of their prophets. However, in the Old Testament, we see hundreds of fulfilled prophecies, extending hundreds, sometimes even thousands of years into the future. Many of these things are found in the Psalms or in the book of Jeremiah. But most commonly, the man, the one you probably remember is Isaiah chapter 53. We read it every Christmas when we talk about uh, the Prince of Peace, right? So those are six non-secret, non-coded ways that we see Jesus in the Old Testament. Do you see it? He's, he's, the, he's really the main character. All of the stories, every page, it whispers his name. One commentator describes it this way. The Old Testament is like a richly furnished but dimly lit room. It's only when the light is turned on that the contents become clear. That light's been switched on in Jesus and in the New Testament's testimony to him and all that he's done. So the question is, what happens if we miss Jesus? What happens if we miss Jesus in the Old Testament, right? What happens if we fail to see him as the thing to which all of the stories and all the laws and all the events are pointing to? I think the passage that we read in Luke 24 this morning uh, reveals at least three things that we'll miss. I think we'll miss the point. 
we'll miss the joy and we'll miss the one that we're supposed to worship. Let me show you those things. First, we'll miss the point. Verse 21, Jesus asked them, what's going on, right? And and they, they respond to him. We had hoped that he was going to be the one who would redeem Israel. See, the Israelites and these disciples, they had thought that Jesus, the kingdom that he was, that the Messiah and that Christ was bringing was a literal, physical one. And that he was going to overthrow the Romans and reestablish the kingdom as it was in the time of Solomon or the time of David. They wanted a physical king with a physical kingdom, and they missed the point about the, what the Messiah was actually coming to do. He wasn't coming to set them free from Roman oppression. He was coming to set them free from the oppression of Satan's sin and death. And they missed the point. So do we, right? Anyone can miss the point. You can have a thousand Bibles in your house and miss the point. Many trained pastors have missed the point. You see, we miss the point because we think it's about us. We read it as though it's about us, but it's not about us. It's about him. When the Bible is about us, it always leads to moralizing and religiosity and misapplying. And it leads to a puzzle that never makes any sense. But if the Bible is not about us and instead it's about Jesus, man, it's such good news. If it's about us, it, it crushes us. But if it's about him, there is, there is hope and there is freedom and there is life. And there's joy. And that's the second thing we miss when we don't see Jesus in the Bible. We miss the great and abiding joy. It is when he's at the center. See, this is what characterizes the people in the passage before Jesus shows them how he's the center of everything. And verse 17, right, he says, they stood still, their faces just downcast. Verse 38, why are you troubled? Why do so many doubts arise in your mind? They had missed the point of all the Old Testament and what it foreshadowed in the death of the Messiah and the death of Jesus. And because they missed the point, they had no hope and they were full of sadness and fear and they missed out on the joy that was intended for them. See, the Bible's not good news without Jesus. The stories and the examples, they're not good news without him. They'll just rise up to condemn us on the last day because we never measure up. But with Jesus, there is great hope. When we see Jesus as the thing to which all of the scriptures points, then we'll be like the disciples in verse 41, who says they could hardly believe it because of joy and excitement and amazement. You see, sometimes we're like those, the disciples. Sometimes we should probably be more like them, right? Could it really be? Is it really true that in Jesus Jesus, our, our rescuer, our redeemer, our mediator, our friend, our savior. Is it really true? Man, I've been praying that that would happen for you as we study the Old Testament this summer. The last thing I think the passage shows that we'll miss when we fail to see Jesus at the center of the whole Bible is that we'll miss the one we're supposed to worship. They had seen him, he had revealed himself, and he had shown them the point of all the Bible was him. And when they understood the, the point, and they experienced the joy, in verse, verse, verse 52 it says this, and they worshipped him. They worshipped Jesus. You see, we're made to worship. We are all worshippers. It is the single thing that every human in the universe is the best at. 
The thing is, we'll just either worship Jesus or we'll worship something else. For these disciples, their worship was not like a campfire kumbaya song time where Jesus kind of like floated up to the heavens or something. Man, no, they worshiped Jesus with their lives. Every one of those disciples went to a martyr's death proclaiming the gospel and preaching it to the ends of the earth. They finally understood the thing to which all the scriptures had been pointing and it was the best news in all the world. They believed that Jesus' life and his death changed everything and that this life in eternity were all changed by him. And they lived for the one that they worshipped. We all do the same thing, except most of the time it's just not Jesus we're living for because he's not the one we're worshipping. If the Bible is all about me, If it's all about us, then we'll miss the point and we'll miss the joy and we'll miss Jesus. The only one who's worthy of our worship. So let me wrap up with this, right? How do we make sure that we don't miss Jesus? If he's at the point, if he's the center, if he's the thing to which everything is pointing, how do we make sure that we don't miss him? I think there's two parts to that. Number one, somebody has to show you. Somebody has to show you that Jesus really is at the center of all those things. Just as Jesus did with the guys that were on the road to Emmaus, verse 27, beginning with most all the prophets, he explained to them. He showed them. He taught them. He said, here, look, see it. Now, I hope that our series this summer does some of that for you. That as we study the Old Testament, that you begin to see how Jesus is, is really at the center of all of the stories. If you want to study more, shoot me an email. I've been doing a lot of study. There's no way all of it's making into our series this summer. But I have some great resources if you want to learn more about it. So number one, somebody has to show you. And number two, um, it's not enough for someone just to show you what's true. God has to open your eyes so that you can see it. Verse 31. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Verse 45, then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. God's the one who shows us that he's at the center. And yeah, my my heart is that I'll be able to show you and teach you that that's the case. But there's not like a formula by which you just see Jesus at the center of everything. It's the job of the Spirit of God to show that to you and reveal that to you and, and make it true so that you see it. I've been praying in uh, preparation for this series, and uh, there's just one verse from our passage that's really kept coming back to mind over and over and over again in our studies, in my studies, and in my preparation. It's uh, verse 32 in the passage. Jesus says, just revealed himself to the disciples, and then he disappears, right? And the disciples, the two of them, they're talking to each other, and he says, they say this to each other, were not our hearts burning within us? while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. See, for them, when they saw Jesus at the center, it wasn't just a light bulb that was like, oh, now we know more information. No, when they saw Jesus at the center, it changed them at the core. That's what's been happening for me in my studies. 
So I've studied lots of Old Testament passages in these past few weeks, studying and getting ready to preach and teach us. Man, my heart has been burning within me. Man, it's been such good news to see Jesus as the true and better Joseph, as the true and better King David. It's been such good news to see him as the, the better mediator than Moses was. It's been so good to see the laws pointing towards him, to see how much that means and how grand that picture really is and how good news the gospel is, how much more good news it is when you see all that it replaced. And my heart has been for you and I've been praying for us that you wouldn't just know more information, but that God would cause your hearts to burn within you as you see Jesus as the point of everything. That God would open your eyes to see the good news of the gospel, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old. And that your hearts would burn within you as you see his word anew. That we would be, cause us to be filled with great joy and contagious, unrelenting worship of the one to whom all the scripture points. All that we would see Jesus on every page. And that we would love him on every page. Let's pray. God, we are so thankful for your word. And we're so thankful that it's not just a list of stories with morals and examples, although there are lessons for us to learn and ways that you have called us to live. God, we are so grateful that the point of the story is not about us. It's about you. God, I would just ask that you'd be gracious to us as you were to the disciples on the road to Emmaus. God, that you would just teach us, that you'd show us how all of the Bible is about you. God, I pray that it would cause our hearts to burn within us as we see you as the thing to which all Scripture points. That it would change us, that it would renew us, that it would restore us, that it would be good news and life to us. God, we're so thankful for your son, Jesus. Help us to see him in all things for our good and for your great and abiding glory.